just between the two of us. It feels like there's a divide. Like we're breaking into pieces. Our families, our churches, our society. Everybody picking their sides. A burning world of disagreement between two or more opposing opinions. We are like children in the crossfire between two warring dominions. Even inside our own heads, there's a battle on every front between doing what is right and doing what we want. Between choosing what is holy and succumbing to the flesh, we have all fallen short, even at our best. There's an ever-growing gap between our sin and God's perfection. There's an uncrossable canyon between our hell-bent hearts and heaven. In our destruction, we are dead. On the wrong side of this great divide, desperately in need of a bridge between death and life. We would rightly give up hope. To death, we would concede. Were it not for Jesus, Hanging there between two thieves, a cross between two crosses, the murder of an innocent man, the quenching of God's wrath and the fulfillment of God's plan. Between BC and AD, the centerpiece of time, the eternal proof of God's love for us written between the lines. This cross is our forgiveness, the full payment for what we've done, an exchange that had been brokered between a father and a son. This cross can mend a splintered love, every regret it can atone. It is healing for the trauma and broken hearts and broken homes. This cross restores the soul, it brings peace to every sorrow, turns the ashes of our past into the beauty of tomorrow. Between everything we've lost, between every way we've failed, there is a king who chose to save us, hanging there between two nails. For the Peters who deny him, for the doubts of every Thomas, between a Thursday and a Saturday, God made good on what he promised. This cross is our redemption, the only healing for the nations. The blood of Jesus Christ is our one and sure salvation. We will live and not die. Our hope is found and not lost because between us and God, there forever stands the cross. The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. 
Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Later that night, they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Pilate said to the people, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted the more, Let him be crucified. Then he released them, Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of skull. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by ridiculed him. So also the chief priests, when the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Deep in the heart of every man, woman, and child, deep in the heart of us, there is something within us that resonates when we hear a story of abuse, when we hear a story of neglect, when we hear a story of betrayal. There's something within us that when we hear a story like that, it just evokes an emotional response. In fact, think of the stories that draw you, right? Like the stories you hear on the news or the stories you hear or see on social media. Like the world right now is kind of watching what's happening or what happened in Nashville. This great tragedy that we see and we're left with all these questions of why. 
This suffering that we see, and and it's the truth. We can literally scroll through our feed, and literally in the same feed, we can see stuff about Nashville. We can see stuff about what's going on in Ukraine. And then in the midst of that, it's kind of a weird thing. We can see stories of a dissatisfied person at Starbucks. Isn't that weird? Isn't it weird how those stories are the stories that draw us in. Stories of neglect, stories of abuse, stories of abandonment. And it doesn't matter how big the story is, how serious it is, or how kind of insignificant, small it is. We're drawn in to these stories. Humanity resonates with stories, serious and not so serious. Stories of victims. And here's the reason I think we resonate with those kind of stories. Because in some part, in some way, we ourselves have felt like the victim before. Maybe we felt like the victim in a big way, serious hurt, serious betrayal, or maybe you just had a bad day at the drive through line at McDonald's. But we deal with stories of feeling like the victim. And here's the truth. Some of you today, you are victim of your circumstances. For some of you walking in today, you are a victim of your circumstances. Things you have no control over. Things that you've never been able to control since the day you were born. Think about this. You have zero control over your genetics. Like, no control. Like, some of you... Some of you have the metabolism of a jackrabbit. You could eat five donuts and not gain an ounce. And then there's others in the room. You just watch someone eating a donut and you got to go run a mile. For some of you, like, I'll, I'll just tell you, I've been in this church a long time. Some of you age so well. Like, you, you look the same as you did 20 years ago. That's awesome. Others of you do not. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, I was literally, I saw a picture of me the other day on Facebook. Someone posted a a photo of me, and I was looking at myself, and I told my wife, I'm like, man, I look so old. And I got to work, and I'm talking to Wesley Green, our worship pastor, and and, and I said, man, Wes, I look so old. Look at these bags under my eyes. And, and, And he just says, Jonathan, that's how you always look. What a jerk, man. <laughs> Speaking of West Green, like you want to talk about genetics? The man has the velvet voice and the perfect hair. Like, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm not even joking. We go to the exact same hair guy. We use the exact same shampoo, conditioner, and styling product. And I can't get it to look the same. Some of you are born with really good genes, and some of you are not. (laughs) And here's the thing. There's more important things to that than your hair, right? A big portion of your health is determined by what we get from the gene pool. Cancer, genetic diseases, heart defects. They're essentially, a lot of them are out of your control. Things that you were 
born with, victim of circumstance. You have zero control over where you were born. You don't control that. I was born in New Hanover Hospital in Wilmington, North Carolina. Some of you were born right here in Shelby. Some of you were born different ways. Maybe you were born in a hospital. Maybe you were born in a bathtub. Maybe you were born uh, in a car. But here's the bottom line. It's not just about that. Some of you were born economically in a good position. Others were not. In fact, if you live in America right now, think of all that you get just by being born here. And think of all the people all overseas right now that have zero control over where they are born. You you had zero control over which neighborhood you grew up in. Whether it was a good neighborhood or, or a tough one. You have zero control over who your parents are. In fact, if you're younger in the room, I'm just going to tell you, all the old folks have this figured out by now, but if you're a younger person in the room right now, let me just tell you this. You can Instagram all you want. You can TikTok all you want. You can snap all you want. And you can put every filter imaginable on that picture. But if you want a real picture of what you look like and what you're going to look like, Just go to the family photo album. Because there's where you're really going to look. Your uncle's goofy nose, that's in your family. That's coming for you. Do I need to switch mics? I can get a handheld if I need to. I feel like I'm echoing a lot. What do you think? We good? All right. Um, Yeah, you are a product of your gene pool. And like it or not, you don't control all of that. That's where you find yourself. And sadly, our parents give us more than our looks. From day one, we have had a front row seat to see their struggles. They have junk in their world. And because of their junk, it's in yours too. Some of you had awesome parents they weren't perfect but they were by and large awesome parents and guess what some of you did not have awesome parents some of you had faith have faced desertion in your home some of you have faced divorce growing up some of you faced distance in your home That maybe mom and dad were right there in the house, but it felt like they were a thousand miles away. They were emotionally just checked out of your life. And many of you stumbled into adulthood, scarred and victimized, feeling unloved. Stuff that is completely out of your control. Victims of Circumstance, But it's even more than that. Even as the course of life continues, things happen to us that are out of our control. That spouse leaves. That friend betrays. That relationship ends. That tumor grows. And we're left sitting in the aftermath and the destruction of what circumstances and what others have done to us. Victims of circumstance. 
Some of you in the room are victims of your choices. Our parents didn't make us sin, but they fine-tuned our ability to sin. Most of us learn to sin, if we're going to be honest, by watching our parents' brokenness. Dad's anger, mom's negativity, dad's infidelity, mom's deception. And in watching their brokenness, we've learned something about our brokenness. And growing up, we saw, man, God tells us, stay away from that. He knows it's going to lead you to a place of destruction, a place of devastation. And guess what? We flat do it anyway. We disobey God. And we go do what we want to do. These bad choices that we choose to make. And we forget about the principle of Galatians 6. Galatians 6 tells us, and you know this. In fact, there's 66 verses in Scripture that talk about this very thing. What a person sows, they're going to reap. That there are consequences to our sin. There's consequences to our choices. And some of our bad days and suffering has been because of our own foolishness. Let's face it. Some of us are living under the shadow of our own shame because of our own sin. We're victims of circumstances. We're victims of choices, our choices. But here's the truth. All of us, every one of us in this room, were victims of our own curse. I remember being in Africa a few years ago, and um, we were talking to this man. Actually, I think Quint McCoy, my brother Quint McCoy was with me, and we were talking to this man in Africa, and he was sharing, he was saying, I'm cursed, I'm cursed, I'm cursed. The translator kept telling us, this is what he's saying, I'm cursed, I'm cursed, I'm cursed. And we've been in, in situations before overseas where people literally put curses on people, like they, they hex them and there's witchcraft involved and demonic activity going on. And so we were trying to kind of get to the bottom of why this man is saying he's cursed, he's cursed, he's cursed. And, and as we talked to them, what we, what, what we realized was that sin, the decisions that he had made in his life, the circumstances of his life leading up to where we are that day with him, had marked his life. It wasn't someone else coming saying, hey, you're cursed or whatever. It wasn't that situation. It was him recognizing in the circumstances of his life, in his own sinful patterns and destructive behaviors and decisions, this man was marked and he was cursed. He describes it as a curse, and rightfully so. You see, our problem is bigger than just a few bad decisions. Our problem is bigger than bad genetics or bigger than a bad home life. Before Christ, we are cursed. Galatians 3 tells us this. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. These Galatians thought that if they could just do good things, if they could just do some good things, it would ease their guilt. 
Paul is saying here our efforts to follow moral law doesn't alleviate our curse. It actually magnifies our curse. That if you're going to trust in your ability to keep the law, you better keep it all. All 242 uh, positive reinforcements and all 365 prohibitions in the law, you got to keep them all. And since no one can do that, we're cursed. Our religious effort just further heightens our sense of the weight that we are carrying. And the result that we find in this kind of life, the result that's in your life, the result that's in my life, the result that's in our society right now, is because we are cursed, we begin to see and live out a victim mentality society. That we now have a tendency to play the victim. That because of our circumstances, because of the bad choices we made, and ultimately because of the curse that's on us, we many times see this play out. We play the victim. That if I'm the victim, everyone else owes me something. And I don't have to take responsibility. And we see this play out in our world. We see this on a big scale. We might see this on a small scale. I see this in my own life. This tendency to, to take the victim mentality into my world. And many of us choose to compare our pain and our suffering with everyone else around us. And here's what we do when we're the victim, when we're playing the victim. The problem is we do that and we feel good when we hear a story of someone else's suffering that's less than ours. It actually makes us feel good because we can say, well, my suffering was worse. Well, my suffering's bigger. You don't know what I've been through. Victim mentality. And we go on living under the curse and here's the thing, we even get to a place where we become comfortable in that curse. We become comfortable in the victim role of, Jonathan, you, you just don't know, man. You don't know my home life. You don't know how bad it was. You don't know about the abuse I faced as a child. You don't know what my dad did. You don't know what my mom did. Jonathan, you don't know the decisions I made that put me in such a bad place. I don't think I'll ever get over this. Victim. Is that pain real? Absolutely. Is that pain valid? Absolutely. But here's the truth of the gospel and the truth of the cross. We weren't meant to stay there. We are born cursed but thank God for verse 13. Christ redeemed us. Christ, the word literally means he paid our debt. Christ paid our debt. How? By becoming a curse for us. He became the curse. He became the victim. Every sting of regret, every neglect, you have ever felt every sleepless night, every shame that you've ever experienced, every bad choice, and every bad circumstance, he took our curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law 
by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It's not because they hang on a tree that makes them cursed. It's not about that. That the wooden cross was more than just a device for torture and death. It served as a reminder of the guilt and visible rejection of God and society. And this is the defeat of our curse. The holiness of God, the horror of our guilt, and the depth of his divine grace meet in a man hanging on a tree. That if you want to see the ultimate victim, look no further. The ultimate victim in the story is Jesus. It's not us. We are not the ultimate victim. The ultimate victim in the story is Jesus. He was abused. He was abandoned. He was betrayed. He was beaten. He was nailed to a cross. He was mocked. And worse than all, he took the full weight of sin, the wrath of God. And then he died. Isaiah tells us he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. And we held him in low esteem. You want to see the ultimate victim? Look no further. He's the ultimate victim. But guess what? If you want to see the ultimate victory... Look no further. Look no further than Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate victim, but he didn't stay the victim. Three days later, he rose again. That's where we're headed next week. So I don't want to spoil next week, and many of you already know that, but he didn't stay the victim. And guess what, guys? He doesn't play the victim. Jesus didn't stay the victim, and he doesn't play the victim. It's not like Jesus is sitting back in heaven right now being like, oh, guys, you just, you just don't know how hard I had it. You just don't know. I mean, my friends, they betrayed me. They spit in my face. They hit me. Um, they put a crown of thorns on my head. They whipped me. I just, it's just, it, they, they nailed me to a cross while I was on the cross. They mocked me. Um, I just... I mean, mean, it was a bad thing. It was miserable. I don't know if I'm ever going to get over it. You know, I've I've, I've been, you know, I'm 2,000 years away from this, and I still am just trying to make sense of it all and just trying to figure out, you know, who I am. And and I just don't know if I'm ever going to get over that, that pain and that suffering that I went through. That's not Jesus. We're not going to get to heaven And Jesus recount and replay all of the suffering. You know what he's going to do when we get to heaven? He's going to say, welcome to my victory. Jesus didn't play the victim. Jesus is not playing the victim, even though he still has the scars in his hands that he will have forever. He was a victim, but he's not a victim anymore. And this is the glory of the gospel. It's the glory for you and it's the glory for me. If he can do that, he's inviting us to do the same thing. To no longer be a victim. Yes, that pain is real. 
Yes, that struggle is real. Yes, that product of our decisions back here are real. Yes, that product of other people's decisions on our life is real. Yes, that, that cancer is real. Yes, this suffering is real. But he is saying and inviting you. The cross is inviting you to come out of your brokenness and betrayal. To come out of your abandonment, your abuse. To come out of your shame. To come out of your negative mindset. To come out of your victim mentality. And join the ultimate victor. The cross meant to kill is our victory. It's our victory. Isaiah says it like this. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. There is hope and victory at the cross. Guys, that the power of his pain, listen, the power of his pain is what brings the healing into yours. This is what this is saying. Your story may very well start as a victim. Maybe you came from a bad Home, a terrible home life situation. Maybe you're in a terrible home life situation right now. Maybe you've been betrayed or abandoned by friends or family. Maybe you have made some really bad decision and there's shame associated with the sin that you've partaken in. But the power of God is to move your story from victim to victory. This is what God desires for you, that what Jesus has done for you is bigger than what anyone has ever done to you. And this is the beauty of the Jesus story. He takes all of our junk to a place called Calvary. And he's inviting you to bring all that stuff to him. To believe in the power of Jesus to break me free. Yes, I'm scarred. Yes, I'm broken. Yes, I'm fearful. But I know that the only place for the worst of me and the worst of whatever's been done to me is right here at the scarred feet of Jesus. The enemy wants to define you by your wounds. But Jesus wants to define you by his wounds. And when we get this new identity in Christ, your identity in Christ is now, I am loved, no longer abandoned. I am prized, no longer disregarded. I am healed, no longer abused. I am set free, not shackled to sin and shame. I am a son or a daughter from the depths of of the curse now risen to life. My debts have been paid by the ultimate 
victim and victory of Jesus Christ. Look no further. Look no further. Maybe you're a Christian in this room and maybe you have just literally been living out this feeling of being the victim. And and I'm not disregarding any of your pain. I'm not disregarding what happened to you. Here's here's the truth. Those things won't get changed back there. They're not going to get changed. They're real hurts. They're real pains. That's not going to change. But God desires to move you from being the victim to living in his victory. It's not your victory. It's his ultimate victory for your life. And if you're a believer in this room, man, let's walk in victory. Let's not walk in the regrets of our past. Maybe you're in the room today and you're not a believer. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of the true story of the gospel or maybe, maybe you've heard it before and it's just not really sunk into your heart. Man, quit being the victim in the story. Allow God to move you from victim to victory. Today is the day you can choose to follow him. The way we celebrate the ultimate victim and the ultimate victory is through communion. And we're going to take a moment here in just a minute to do this. The very night before the cross, Jesus gave us a way to remember, a way to celebrate, a way to express gratitude for what he's done in our lives. For us, communion is not about a certain type of juice or a wafer. In fact, this is what it looks like here today. It's a little tab for the, for the bread, a little tab for the juice. It's probably 50 cents. It's not about this. It's not about a certain place. Maybe you're at the, on the live stream right now and you're watching from home. I want to encourage you, go, go find something to drink, something to eat, to partake in communion with us. See, it's not about a place. It's not about a certain drink or a certain piece of bread. Communion's not about that. Communion is for believers to remember, to express gratitude for the ultimate victim and the ultimate victory in our lives. And if you're not a Christ follower, in just a minute, we're going to have prayer partners here at the front. I want to invite you to come forward today. Today is the day to follow Jesus. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that communion is for those that have first examined their heart and have come taking this with a clear heart. So we're going to invite you as believers in here that before you take this, to take a moment and just check your heart with God. To maybe do this as a couple or as a family. But in this moment, I, I want to just again invite everyone to go ahead and stand up to their, to their feet. We're going to have you stand because if someone needs to do business with God, either with a prayer partner or here on the sides, maybe you want to come to the altar and pray as a family or as a couple or by yourself, we want to make it easy for you to be able to do that. But I want you to take this time and examine your heart, this moment of quiet reflection. Then... If you have a chance, pray as a family, pray as a couple. And then when you're ready, 
Whenever you're ready, I'm not going to come back up here and tell you when to do this. This is for you. The verse is going to be here on the screen in just a minute. But when you're ready, I want to invite you and your family to partake of communion. Matthew 26, this is what Jesus says the night before he's crucified. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my body of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are the ultimate victim. You are the ultimate victory. Jesus, we can rely on you, Lord. We can trust in you. God, we've been hurt. We've been scarred. We've been wounded in our past. Some of us have been wounded by our own mistakes, our own choices, our own decisions. Jesus, we can walk in victory because of the victory that you have done for us. And so, Lord, in this moment, we just want to take this moment to remember you. Lord, if you want us to come to the front or go find a prayer partner, God, I pray that we would be obedient to do that. If there's someone here today, Lord, that doesn't know you, I pray, God, that today they would choose to follow you. And, Lord, in this quiet and special moment we have together, that we could worship you by remembering your sacrifice. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just do what God would have you do in this moment together.